right, we're going to Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3 tonight. Good to see you out of church on a Wednesday night. Oh, as always, Philippians chapter 3. I had to share a funny story with you. We were at the mission the other night and uh, had good services, good, good reception. But they always like for us to take an offering, um, which is a, usually a pretty slim ordeal. Once you bring the plates back, but uh, we had I had my the, my son and Larry's son had Timothy and Stephen along with me, and so they did. They took the they took the offering and we're doing that. And and uh, after the service, one of them came up with eyes just as big as dinner plates. He said I was he was passing the plate. He had just never imagined that somebody would take money out of the plate. And uh, in the last row wasn't much in there, just a few dollars. That guy took a dollar out of the plate, and uh, so. I guess that doesn't happen here, amen. And it's something they didn't ever think they'd see, but I, yeah, that's where we are, and just praise the Lord anyway. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3 the Christian life is one of growth, or it certainly should be one of growth, uh, progress toward the goal of becoming like Christ. Philippians or, uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29 tell us the goal that God has for us. We are to uh, be fashioned in the form of His Son. So when we're first saved, we have a lot of baggage uh, from the world still, and and uh, you know we we come to salvation obviously still with our, our old nature and and have to deal with some things. But each day that we serve Christ, more of that baggage should fall by the wayside. We should always be growing closer to the Lord Jesus Christ every day of our life. Our walk with Him should be getting stronger. Salvation is called the new birth. That's the starting point. And then sanctification is the process of growth as our lives are changed into the image of Christ. Uh, this process doesn't take place automatically. <clears throat> as you know, it takes work. Uh, growing takes work. A child growing takes a lot of work by someone. A garden growing, it takes work. A anything that grows, uh, it takes a lot of input. It takes a lot of food of some sort. And uh, it takes water. It just takes effort. And so... Uh, we want to, as we're working through Philippians, seeing a lot of different things, hopefully, that are help to us as we do this. Uh, look at uh, our pet text tonight. I want to read verse 12 through 15 of Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Paul says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfected, but I follow after, if that I might, may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. <coughs> <clears throat> Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and in anything be otherwise, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Father, I pray tonight you'd help us as we look at this passage and may we see something that we can apply. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach for a few minutes here on press on, press on, or press forward. I want to look at Paul's goals, Paul's honesty, and Paul's exhortation here in these few verses here. Look at what he starts out with here as he talks about his goals. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Now, if you'll take a moment and think about Paul's career up to this point, 
after he got saved, he, he caused such a stir in, uh, yes, thank you, in Damascus that he had to flee the city. Acts, 9, Acts chapter 9 talks about that. Paul went to Arabia where he began to look at the Old Testament in light of the gospel and, and he began to learn and grow. You know, we often think Paul got saved again preaching immediately. There was a, a number of years there in between where he, where he learned and, and studied and really looked at, he already knew the Old Testament probably better than anyone alive and, and then he started to apply that to the gospel. He evangelized Arabia, Tarsus, and Sicilia. Uh, he then, at, at Barnabas' behest, he went to Antioch, made a great impact in that city. He evangelized the island of Cyprus. He founded a string of churches in Galatia. He helped the church leaders in Jerusalem uh, with this whole issue of circumcision that you had to become a Jew to be a Christian. So he worked through that with them. He established a work in Europe. Uh, he uh, planted churches in Philippi, in Berea, in Thessalonica, in Corinth. He made a great speech on Mars Hill. We know that passage, all the intellectuals that were there, and, and he made such a good speech there about the gospel as well. He evangelized Ephesus. He planted a church there, and then that church planted other churches uh, throughout Asia Minor. Now he's in Rome as a prisoner, yet even while he's there, uh, he's winning people to Christ. Uh, there's young men all throughout that are being encouraged by him. Uh, Timothy, Titus, uh, Luke, Gaius, Tychicus, there's uh, men, Silas, there's, if I didn't name him, there's uh, men, young men that he's inspiring to do the work as well. Uh, even people in Caesar's palace, meaning guards and uh, diplomats, are getting saved because of his witness. He performed miracles, he cast out demons, he cured the sick, he raised the dead, he suffered great hardships, he never lost his joy. He'd been beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, he's been stoned, he's been mobbed, chastised, and mocked. Yet Paul says, not as though I'd already attained, or were already perfect. The word translated perfect there is teleo, which means, uh, the original word means to make complete or perfected. So Paul's saying, hey, look, I have not arrived. Now, I got to say, uh, if Paul has to make a statement like that, where do we stand? Where are we when we think that we have gotten to, <laughs> we, we've arrived at our Christian life. We're at our pinnacle. What a resume Paul had. What humility Paul had. How many times do we look at our accomplishments, sit back and revel in them? And yet, if I lived 10 lifetimes, I couldn't accomplish half of what Paul did. And, and this, still, he's able to have that humility. He's able to say, hey, I have not done enough. I'm, I've not arrived. I've not, uh, I've not done as much as I want to do. Thank you so much. And so the worst thing I think we can do is to think that we've arrived. The worst thing is to start thinking highly of ourselves. I read a funny story. A young woman asked for an appointment with the pastor to talk about a besetting sin, she said. And so she came in and she said, Pastor, I've become aware of a sin in my life and I just can't control it. She said, every time I go to church, I look around at all the other women in the church and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the congregation. I mean, nobody else's beauty compares with mine. She says, is this a sin? pastor said, Mary, you're not caught in sin. You're caught in a delusion. Uh, and, and we can get caught in that delusion, can't we? 
when we start to think really highly of ourselves. And we do that. I mean, that's a joke, but we do that. Look around and think, man, I'm, boy, Lord, you must be proud of me. You could look at all these other people and look at where I'm at. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a problem. Paul, of all people, should be able to do that, we think, but he didn't. He says, I haven't arrived. We can accomplish more. We can impact more people. We can do more for God if we just get over ourselves. If we can do that, uh, that'll be a help. Winston Churchill, I love. I've got a book on Winston Churchill, and he is, uh, he's just, he had a very, very quick wit. And uh, he was asked one time, uh, after he made a speech to a crowded house, <coughs> somebody asked him, said, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech, the hall is completely crowded and it's full to the max. Doesn't that make you feel good? And, and uh, Winston Churchill replied, it does flatter me, but I, whenever I feel that way, whenever I feel flattered, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the, church, uh, the crowd would be twice as large. And he was probably right. Uh, and so it's good to remember that, isn't it? It's good to remember the, our feet of clay. It's good to remember the negative side sometimes. But Paul says, I follow after <coughs> that if I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's talking in athletic terms here. Uh, he's committed to go after that which gripped him at the time of salvation. He's wanting to follow after that. The original word is diokio, which means to pursue. So he's wanting to pursue that for which he was apprehended of Christ Jesus. Remember how he was apprehended? The Damascus Road. Jesus shone a bright light, asked him why he was kicking against the pricks, in other words, for conviction. Uh, and Paul got saved, gloriously saved on the, uh, through the gospel. And so the gospel apprehended him. Now he's going after the gospel. He's pursuing it. Here's something interesting. Look over at verse number 6. This was Paul, remember last week when he was going through his resume, talking about his former life, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. That word persecuting is the exact word uh, for follow after in, um, in the verse we just read. I follow after. So I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended. Different translation in the English, but that's the same original word. And I find that interesting because Paul is saying here that he, with the same fervor that he was pursuing his worldly pursuits, he's now following after Christ. With the same fervor that he was trying to stamp out Christianity, he's now trying to promote it. And I, I was thinking about that this week as I was, I was just reviewing this, and I was thinking, you know, how, many, how much would our Christianity change if we had the same fervor that sinners have for sin? Man, sinners go after sin. And it's harmful to them. It hurts them and they know it. And they still go after it. I read a statement once, and this, is, this hurts, but it's true for many people. If we would put the same effort in at work that we put in for God, we'd be fired in three days. Think about that. That's true for a lot of Christians who serve God only when it's convenient. Hey, how would... How would your boss uh, respond if you went to work only when it was convenient? <laughs> Wouldn't last long, would we? And yet we, uh, we, we go after certain things. It's a crying shame that in every endeavor, 
passion and fervor is admired, except it seems in Christianity. If you have a passionate Christianity, then we're extreme and we're often mocked. And yet, if it's seen, if passion in Christianity is seen, it does widen your impact. There's a story told of the great English actor MacReady. He was uh, a preacher one time came to him and he says, a well-known preacher, says, I wish you'd explain something to me. He says, what is the difference between you and me? You're appearing before large crowds night after night with fiction. And the crowds come wherever you go. He says, I am preaching the, the essential and unchangeable truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not getting any crowd at all. Listen to McCutie's response. He says, that's very simple. He said, I present my fiction as it were truth. You present your truth as if it were fiction. Do we have passion in what we talk about? Do we have passion in what we say we believe? Do we act on what we say? Listen, if we, if we say something and then don't live it to the world, that's fiction. It's not real. We're not, we're not backing it up with our actions. It's tragic that the world puts more effort in temporary glory than we do for eternal achievements. We ought to have that same passion because, again, when it comes to sin, people pursue it. <clears throat> we pursue it despite the destruction it brings our family. We pursue it despite the hangovers of the next morning. We pursue it despite the harm that it does to us. We pursue it despite the warnings on the label. <laughs> you know, we, we go after it because people are passionate for sin. And yet, as a Christian, so that, that's what I found interesting there that Paul said, hey, I'm following after now. And it's the same word that when he was persecuting the Christians, he's desperately going after that, after them doing everything he could. Well, now his focus has changed, but his passion hasn't left him. Now the passion is for the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to serving God, so many times we're uh, careful not to offend, careful not to be pushy, uh, doing it only when it's convenient. Let's have the passion that Paul had. <clears throat> and secondly, Paul's honesty. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Those who make the greatest progress are usually those who are most aware of their imperfections. We ought to, we ought to be aware of our imperfections. Let's not over, oversell ourselves. Those, the ones who know, have you ever, I'm sure you, you uh, find, have found this statement to be true. The ones who know the least are often the most puffed up about it. I got one word, not to be offensive, I love them, but teenagers. The ones who know the least are the most puffed up about it. You remember? 16, man, I knew more than my dad when I was 16. I was so smart. And, uh, of course, dad, he, he gained a lot of wisdom in the next five years following that. But uh, that's First Timothy 3, 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Isn't it interesting that a novice would be lifted up in pride? But that's often the case. Those who know the least are the most proud about what they think they know. Plutarch talked about the young men who came to study at Athens <clears throat> years and years ago. Uh, and when they arrived, they felt they were very wise men. They were there at Athens to learn. And after they had studied a while and learned much, they found themselves to be fools. That's kind of how it is, isn't it? I mean, you can identify with that. The older I get, the more I realize what I don't know. The more we study the Bible, <clears throat> the, the more we realize how little we know about the Bible. 
Paul is the writer of, of the world's greatest truth and wisdom. The epistles, many of them. And he's essentially saying, I don't think I've grasped all there is to grasp. I've not arrived yet. That's a great attitude to have. But then he goes on. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth under those things which are before. I love, love this verse. Many people are ineffective in their present condition because they're doing one of two things. They either gloat about past accomplishments or they wallow in past failures. Either way, <coughs> both of them are destructive. Neither one of them are good. Neither is profitable. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Solomon instructed his son, keep your eyes forward. Let thine eyes, thine eyes look right on, he says to him. Look neither to the right nor to the left. We ought to have our eyes forward. Like the, uh, the horses we used to have in the Amish, we'd have what's called blinders because cars and motorcyclists would like to get behind, beside, sometimes just as they'd get beside the buggy, they'd rev and, and or peel out, try to scare the horse, think they're funny. Uh, so you need that horse focused, and you keep those blinders so we'd be looking forward. We need Christian blinders in our, in our lives. We need to be focused, looking forward. Look, the devil's a master at bringing up our past, isn't he? Loves to bring up our past. He has nothing in his future to look forward to other than the lake of fire. By the way, Satan brings up your past, just remind him of his future. That's a helpful thing to do because that's his future. For some, he gets them to focus on past accomplishments. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't rest on your laurels. Look for ways to God that God can still use you. And thank God for those. And we have some in our church that have been faithful for years, and praise the Lord for that. But God's not done with you yet. I've said this often in church, but I'll bring it up again. But uh, that test, you know, you can take a test to see if God still has something for you to do. Do you know that? Ready? We can take it together right now. Breathe in. Breathe out. If you can do that, God can still use you. As soon as he's done with you, he's going to take you home. If he's not done with you, he's going to leave you here. And he's not leaving you here to increase your 401k. I mean, that's great. He's not leaving you here to, to, to let you enjoy the, the, uh, the earth. I mean, he's here for, you're here for a purpose. Heaven is so much better than what we have here. And uh, if we, he didn't have a purpose for us, then he'd just suck us into heaven when, he, when we get saved. But we need to grasp this verse, forgetting those things which are behind. Two men met and were talking, and one of them said, Say, you really look depressed. What are you thinking about? The other says, I'm thinking about my future. And he says, well, what makes your future look so hopeless? He said, my past. <laughs> And a lot of, how often is that uh, how we look at the future? I mean, we just let the past ruin our today. There are so many people hung up with the past. Here in our text, <coughs> I believe Paul is resisting specifically the temptation to rest on his past record because he just gave it to us here uh, before these verses. So he wanted to continue to strive for that which God wanted him to accomplish. But more than that, the fact of Paul's past record, but think about Paul's past sins and his, his uh, crimes. I imagine at times Paul preaching, I'm sure this happened, <clears throat> it was the early church, Paul preaching to a church 
Uh, and there might have been people in that crowd that were maimed because of what he did to them before he was a Christian. People whose parents he had imprisoned, whose family he might have killed some of them. Paul had to deal with that in his ministry. Can you imagine Paul door knocking? Hi, my name is, yes, I know who you are. You killed my father, you killed my mother, you put my uncle in jail. This is the, this is the kind of thing Paul had to deal with. And so I imagine the guilt he dealt with, the night sweats, the shame of all he had done. But these are things he had to move beyond. And that's why he said, forgetting the things which are behind, there are some things I've got to put behind me. And all of us have that. All of us have things that we've got to put behind us. What one of us wouldn't like to go back and change a few things? I mean, every one of us probably has decisions We'd go back and undo if we could, but we can't. We can't go back. Yesterday is gone. Nothing you can do about it. Tomorrow is uncertain. All you've got is today. That's why it's called a present. <laughs> it's all you have is today. The devil likes to overwhelm us and bury people in their past failures. He convinces us we can't please God. Uses the, if people who really knew what you were or what you are, uh, he accuses us. That's why the Bible calls him the accuser. <coughs> by the way, you know how many, how much of your Bible is written by murderers? There's quite a bit, actually. Moses, he wrote the first five books called the Pentateuch. He wrote, uh, he was a murderer, Exodus chapter 2. David was a murderer, Second Samuel chapter 11. Paul was a murderer, Acts chapter 8. And they wrote great portions of the Bible. Now, don't go out and kill someone so you can be a great man of God, but I'm just saying God can use people who have really done some bad things before they were saved. It doesn't mean that because of something you've done that you need to take your past and allow Satan to beat you over the head with it. Now, don't let your past define who you are now. Paul, in fact, Paul had a new name. He even had his name changed when he got saved. Went from Saul to Paul. But he did not let his yesterday define who he was today. And how many Christians do that? How many people allow themselves to be defeated? Because they don't or can't accept forgiveness. Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. <laughs> Love that verse. Which one of us wouldn't like to change, but we've got to go forward? <coughs> you do not move ahead in life by constantly looking at the rearview mirror. The past, somebody said, should be a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. And sure, we can learn things from our past, uh, but we need to move forward. Playwright uh, Louise Tarkenting wrote this. <coughs> she says, I wish there were a place called the land of beginning again, where all of our past mistakes and heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Now, we all feel like that sometimes, but learn from your past, then move on. That's what Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. And then he talks about his sights being on a new target. He used the phrase here, this one thing I do. Now, D.L. Moody said it's better to say this one thing I do than these 40 things I dabble with. We ought to have a good focus in our Christian life. We ought to have our eye on a specific goal. Paul concentrated all his energy on his goal. Nothing could distract him. And what was that? The prize. Look at what he says in verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We see Paul here as a man 
running a race. His head is thrust forward, his face is set, his whole body is straining toward the goal, and he's after the prize. What is the prize? The high calling of God. We ought to never lose sight of our finish line. There's someone standing at the finish line of our race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We ought to keep Christ in the center of uh, our focus. What motivated Paul? Motivated Paul was Christ. It was a man, not a map, that motivated Paul's journey. And so he uh, might have had visions of failures behind him, but ahead of him was Christ. That was his opportunity, and he was keeping his focus on that. We're not running our race for ourselves. We're not running our race for applause. We're not running our race for approval uh, from other people. We're running our race for him. That's what it ought to be. That's what our focus ought to be. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers. I'd hate to know what percentage of Christians that is. Serving as men pleasers. Serving for eye service. Wanting to please somebody instead of someone. Amen. We should not, not that, not that we don't care about our testimony or, you know, not, not live right and treat people right, but that not, shouldn't be our goal to please people. But as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Too often when God blesses our work or our focus, uh, our, our focus then turns to ourselves instead of God. When we lose our wonder, we lose our worship. Our focus ought to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, and really quickly here in closing, let us therefore, he says, as many as be perfect, we see as our exhortation here, verse number 15, be thus minded, and if there anything be otherwise minded, God will reveal this even unto you. Now, uh, here's the application. And Paul's not blowing his own trumpet here uh, to, <clears throat> excuse me, to magnify his own dedication, but to motivate our dedication. He's doesn't want us to applaud him. He wants us to pass him. He wants us to do what he did and go even beyond what he's doing. Christianity uh, should not be a spectator sport. And that's what Paul's telling us here. Get in the game here. Uh, do what I am doing. Go after. Get in the race. Keep your eye on the prize. Again, he's using the these uh, verses here. Verse 14 uh, is specifically uh, an athletic uh, idea, uh, talking about a race here rather than sit in the stands. Hey, that was a good message, or, or uh, what a great truth that was, or watching other people do the work. Somebody said a, church is, a lot of churches are like football games there. Uh, thousands of people desperately in need of exercise, watching 12 people desperately in need of rest. <laughs> it's like a lot of churches, isn't it? A few people doing the work, everybody else just watching. Christianity shouldn't be a spectator sport. So, uh, By the way, if you're a spectator, it will not be long before you become a criticizer. Spectators become criticizers. If you're not involved in the work of God, then you'll be evaluating other people's involvement in the work of God. That's just natural. So spectators uh, will soon become criticizers if you do not get involved in the work. I guarantee if you are uh, in the arena of service, if you are a doer, if you are involved, people will find things to criticize, but it doesn't matter. Stay in the race because our eyes isn't on people. Our eyes are on Christ. That's what our focus ought to be. 
Paul challenged the Philippians to get off the sidelines and get in the race. Paul encouraged the faithful to be in the same mind as himself, to forget what they have already attained. Or sometimes the idea is to forget the past failures and keep your eyes forward. Press on. Press on, he says. Uh, Press forward. I love the idea of verse 13 because every single one of us can apply that verse to our life. I think of Joseph. Remember Joseph after the terrible things he went through. He had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim means fruitful. He wanted to be fruitful. But first he had to have a Manasseh, which means forgetful. Forget. God hath caused me to forget my toil. If we want to be fruitful, if we want to be successful, if we want to make an impact for God, there are some things we must put behind us. There's some things we've got to uh, leave in the past and press forward toward the goal. I don't know how many times I allow something that's happened yesterday to discourage me today. Can't let it happen. We've got to keep going forward.